podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our experiences as well as stories from other Australians of learning, working with and using other languages. Welcome to another episode, and this is part two of our interview with Carla Zuluaga. So if you haven't listened to part one, please go back to episode 42 and listen to Carla, and um, we hope you enjoy this next part. Um, a, cu- a couple of months ago, we had something in Australia which we haven't seen before when the Australian National Anthem was sung in an Indigenous language at a football match Um, and, you know, it was it was a really awesome moment I think for the country to, to have that experience and I think maybe outsiders perhaps looking in might have been a bit surprised that that hadn't happened before um and what was your kind of take take on it and and I guess as a as someone who's had some really kind of hands-on tangible experience in in Indigenous language in the field of kind of what you've been looking at with uni if if you could design you know some awesome changes to the language landscape in Australia in terms of our understanding and exposure to Indigenous languages as Australians? Like, is there some really simple things that you would want to see happen? I mean, for me, just things like people understanding what country they live in, live on, the language that's spoken in the the country that they live on. I think that's a really simple, straightforward place to start. Um, But has it, have you come across any kind of things that, you know, would make a difference in your mind? Well, yeah, I think that's really important to know the the local country of what um, of where you're living on because um, obviously Aboriginal cultures are so diverse and so it is kind of le- hard to learn about every single one of them. So if you start local, then it kind of cuts it down and, and it brings more relevance to you as well because it is the land that you're um, living on. But something I would really love to see is learning more about the local cultures in schools. So I'm not sure how it was for you, but when we learned about um, Aboriginal peoples in school, it was always post-colonization. And I mean, of course, it's very important to learn all of those things about like assimilation and protectionism and self-determination and all that kind of thing. Um, But it really takes away from the thousands, like tens of thousands of years that they were here um, and just not learning about that at all in the 13 years of school seems like a real disservice, um, not only for both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, because for Indigenous people, it's kind of like, oh, okay, you're just ignoring um, ignoring us, like ignoring that we existed before and that we're still existing now. And for non-Indigenous people, just to learn that because it is an important part of the culture. And although it's Indigenous culture, that is part of Australia. That's Australian history. That's Australian culture. And it should be something that everybody learns. Yeah, I completely identify with that. I think when I was at school, the majority of the 
history that I learnt that had anything to do with the Indigenous people of Australia was actually about the stolen generations, which admittedly is actually a very important thing to learn about. Um, However, it's also a very dark period of Australian history um, and does not even nearly do justice to the the cultures that were here beforehand. I mean, it talks about something that we hope would never happen again um, anywhere, hopefully, Um, but it is not, yeah, it's, it's, kind of that that very dark period of the history that is relatively recent um mm-hmm. and as you said there's so much more before colonization so many more there are and there are stories there are there is history we know that there is there's information that exists it's not that all of it was lost um yeah. because there's certainly lots of work being done I think all around the country um in terms of like you know pre pre-colonial Australian history um but whether any of that really gets touched on um at schools like I mean I I do remember actually as a very young student um us having something about the dream time I'm sure that we yeah I think everybody learns about uh the rainbow serpent I think everybody knows that yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so for the benefit of anybody who's listening who hasn't heard about what the dream time is before um it's i, I suppose a, a a history of of oral stories isn't it color yeah, yeah. yeah. um about the creation. But, yeah exactly about the creation of of the world and that kind of tradition um but again i don't think we could identify with where exactly that came from what cultures used to used to pass on the the dream time stories as just this kind of kind of general concept of, of what that is and um, actually now as an adult like thinking about it I'm like well actually I'd like to know more mm. um, you know and I'm sure I'm sure there is information that we can find but you know it's sort of on all of us to to do some more research and to find out more so that we all know more um, and can all pass that on to other people too. I, th- I think um, where it would be really important and we're seeing this so much in current day what's happening around the country um, but in terms of protecting sacred sites, understanding about the value and the importance of sacred sites, what they mean and as a nation having pride in that history as well, um, Mm -hmm. I think that would be a really important thing for us as a nation to, to look at. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you just brought up the um, the uh, national anthem being sung in a language other, like an Indigenous language at a football match. Now, I um, have often felt kind of nothing um, <laughs> when I hear the Australian national anthem. I know that sounds <laughs> terrible. Like, um, you know, as a, as a flag, person right? who, yeah, but like, I mean, I guess there's been <laughs> lots of controversy and I think for anybody who's listening, who has grown up in Australia, um, you know, maybe you will identify with some of these feelings of kind of being a bit like, well, I'm not really sure that I or some of my peers even really feel that much towards the, the, the national anthem and what it means because I think there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of debate over the years especially probably more recently about the actual meaning behind the words that we were forced to sing at school or at you know at large events or whatever and kind of feeling like well I'm not a hundred percent sure that that does our, our history and you know Australia's history justice um 
Whereas sometimes in other in the in the cases of other countries, actually, where they do have um, perhaps a local or an indigenous language mixed in with the language of um, that's been brought by a colonial power, um, and I'm thinking in particular of maybe New Zealand. Um, I know South Africa actually has a fantastic national anthem that's really that um, has lots of languages in it um and every time I hear them at a large event I always kind of feel like if I were if I were somebody from that place then I would feel more for the for the anthem because it represents more than just English (laughs) and sometimes like I, I don't know whether that will be something that ever changes in the future but um yeah, there's there's really something to be said there about the the emotion I think that is associated with um, languages that are not English. Yeah, so I I can really relate to what you were saying about um, even with New Zealand. Whenever I hear the haka, I I get really emotional about oh my it. God, I'm just, totally the same. Beautiful. Yeah. Sometimes I just like sit there on YouTube. I'm like haka, and I like watch <laughs> haka at school, haka in a wedding, and I just like. I get really emotional about it, but I just think it's so beautiful. And I wish that we had that more often in Australia, something that, um, you know, really is connected to the land and the cultures that are here. Uh, Like, yeah, I have the same feeling about the anthem. I I hear it and then, okay, that's that's it. But it doesn't evoke uh, like a strong emotional response at all. Mm. So speaking of emotional responses, um, I was going to ask just about when we're talking about revitalization and the consultation with communities and um, all all of the work that happens around that for a language, Mm -hmm. what kinds of, what kind of impact does that have on a community um, when there is revitalization or even revival work done for a language? Have there been instances of the hopefully um, positive impacts of what that might what that might do for a region or for a community of people that have been like missing that language just as you sort of described before with like not having your heritage language really with you um, and feeling like there was a a gap if you can start to bridge that gap what that gap what kind of impact does that have Okay, so um, I saw actually an article just yesterday about uh, a school in uh, far north Queensland that started introducing um, an indigenous language just like as a just as a language class, and it just began one or two years ago, and already they can see that the uh, attendance rates are better. Um, the indigenous in that particular school, it's about half half of indigenous and non-indigenous students. Um, the Indigenous students were reporting that um, they're really glad that they um, can share their culture with others, that um, they have like a sense of pride now in their cultures. And and the non-Indigenous students were really happy to learn something about um, the culture of their land. And um, they really were happy not only to learn the language, but um, all the cultural things that come alongside when you learn a language. Um, that one's a quite a, a new one. So there's kind of those like surface effects of just this like feeling of pride and understanding. Um, but for other ones who may be a, a little bit longer lasting programs, um, we see that the attendance rates uh, when 
uh, students are taught in language are actually a bit higher, especially in communities where there is a large um, indigenous uh, language speaking population. The attendance rates can be like up to 30% better than if there was a school without um, bilingual education programs. And, and, and this has definitely been shown because some schools have unfortunately lost funding. And when there um, became like a monolingual school, they saw that um, the indigenous attendance rate did drop. Um, so it is really important um, in those communities. And uh, just last year, there was a school in Wadie that um, students were able to um, study Morin Patha, which is the language there. And for the first time in 13 years, they had um, year 12 students graduate that learned, were able to um, learn their language as part of their final um, year in school. And um, that's so important because um, the graduation rates like up till year 12 for indigenous students, uh, particularly in remote areas is a lot less than the graduation rates for year 12 students of um, non-indigenous Australians um, in the rest of Australia. So um, again, going back to bridging the gap, um, education is so, so important. So having this language in place, if that's gonna help people um, attend school, finish school, um, then that's going to help close that gap. And, and then if students can finish high school, then they can go into universities and well as well. And when they go to university, it will help with their job opportunities. So in all these ways, it's like, it's it seems like something little at the beginning, just like, oh, being able to learn your language in school. But then that carries on to your education, your work, and opportunities even for like the community. Um, I think it's really, really important. And um, like at the moment, there are, I think it was less than 200 um, practicing doctors at the moment who are indigenous. And that's pretty low considering like the size of the country. And it having indigenous people in all different occupations from lawyers to doctors is really important because imagine if you go to the doctor and and perhaps your first language is Walbury and not English and having someone explaining things in English and medical terms are not easy. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes if a doctor explains something to me, I still won't know. Um, so if you can have indigenous peoples in that space that not only know language, but also culture, how to communicate um, with indigenous peoples. It's really important. And in law as well, that is so, so important because they're um, particularly in areas that there are like indigenous languages spoken, there is a lot of cross-cultural miscommunication and not necessarily because of like the words that they're using, but the way in which um, you communicate. Um, and that is a whole nother <laughs> topic that I can go on for ages and ages. Um, like thing, like there have been cases where, um, like in courts where like a person will choose not to divulge information because culturally that's not their information to say, even if they know it, 
it's like, well, that's not my information to say, so I'm going to remain silent. And then in, in law, when people are like, oh, you're silent, you must be guilty. I mean, like, obviously, it's not as simple as that. But these like notions of silence are different across cultures and what information you're privy to is also different. So having Indigenous people in these spaces is really, really important as well. Yeah, that's that's yeah really important. And I think across all the different fields and sectors that we encounter in everyday life, politics, education, journalism, I mean, there's, you know, like you said, the list is endless. And the more that this is more um, visual and in our face, and I think it's the better for everyone. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask too, Carla, that for people listening who are really interested to to learn more about Indigenous languages, either the local language where they live or just more broadly um, across Australia, have you come across any resources which you think might be a good starting place or somewhere that people that should check out who are interested in finding out more? Yeah, so um, we have... IATSIS, which is based in Canberra, and that's like a, a research center that um, does research for like Aboriginal communities all around. And actually it originally started because um, suddenly people were afraid that they were going to die out and that we needed to record everything as fast as possible. Um, obviously now that's not the, the case. We know that these people are still very much alive and living and their culture is continuing. Um, but I think that's a good place to start, at least for even knowing which country you're on. Like, um, I think it's pretty well known in Australia that that colorful Australia map that um, has like all the indigenous lands that can at least give you an indication of where, where you are, um, whose land you're living on. Um, and IATSIS is the one that developed that map. Um, they also have like a like online store that you can order books, um, either about language, about culture, um, all kinds of Aboriginal affairs. Um, and so that's kind of like a good starting point to even know where to, to focus your efforts on. Um, around the country, there are also like, um, in some places there are indigenous language centers and they kind of help um, produce learning resources and things like that, or some, in some cases they hold classes. So if you're somewhere that has a, a language center, um, lucky you, <laughs> there's not a language center here on the Central Coast. Um, the closest that I could get was the Indigenous Land Council. Um, and so I'm not sure uh, if there is that kind of thing in every place, we've, but- We've got one in- um, um, what are wrong in yeah. Geelong? Yeah, there's a language centre here. Yep. So um, just try and find who your local Indigenous people are and and see what resources you can find about it. Yep. Um, and if there are any, even festivals, sometimes there are Aboriginal festivals or markets and things like that to just try and um, get in touch with um, like the original custodians of the land. Um, there's also actually a really great book that I bought um, called Welcome to Country. And it's a travel guide 
but it's highlighting um, indigenous experiences around Australia. So um, if you want to travel for festivals, if you tr want to travel and see um, um, art centers or tours run by indigenous peoples, um, if traveling is your thing, I would really, really recommend this book. Yeah, and they're, they're on Instagram as well, and you can have a look at their website too. I've, I've been um, following them for a while. They've got some good stuff. I um I remember also hearing just just recently about a map um called Gambe, which um is online and it was created by First Languages Australia. Um and it's like an interactive map where you can go in and like zoom in on a place and listen to a sample of the language um from that area. Um so we might have to we might have to link we'll we'll link all of these things in in the show notes anyway. Um but I guess there are some cool ways online to yeah to try and experience even just the tiniest little bit of Yeah, now that you mentioned that. Yeah. Um I forgot what it's called, but there is a map as well that um you click on it around and it gives you like 50 words from that language. Like they all have like a list oh, of 50. Yeah, I remember then, hearing about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that they have it for every language, but they do have it for like quite a lot of them. So that's another cool way to look at it. After we have done this recording, we will find the map and we will also link it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, if you're interested in language too, I've I listened to an ABC podcast um, called Word Up. I don't know if you've listened to that, Carla. Um, but that same kind of premise where it's just a really short introduction to the language and just a few words or a phrase from that language. Um, so great if you're just time poor and you just want a little a little intro. No, I think it's great to start from something small. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to know everything at once, but at least something to to kind of spark your interests. Um, that's that's always a good start. And really knowing knowing something is better than not knowing anything, right? Absolutely. Every every little little tiny bit of knowledge that people gather is a way of keeping those cultures and keeping those languages alive, even if it is not, you know, you don't have to fully learn. And and I think lots of people would would know that from their experiences of learning non-Indigenous languages, whether it was at school or otherwise, you know, there is so much to be gained from even the smallest amount of language information and so much like cultural knowledge that you can even get from a very small oh, yeah. language information and yeah all of that all those little bits together do help us to kind of carry these things on so um yeah culture is so integrated with language in like indigenous cultures it's it's just amazing i like like um in aboriginal cultures there are really really intricate um kinship kinship systems and I cannot really begin to explain them because they're quite complex. Um, and also there are different systems um, throughout. Um, but a lot of them are, are cyclical and it really determines who people are in relation to you and how you talk to them. And it, it brings about like um, um, terms of address. It... it, it um, has this like whole bulk of lexicon in the language that are just to do with these kinship terms and the kinship terms 
are also related to um, you know traditions and how you act in society and um, they're really complicated but they also like not only are they um, influencing the lexicon it influences the syntax and the morphology of the language um, like the relations are are so important and some languages have this thing called uh, tri-relational terms so the way that you describe someone in relation to you has kind of like two it's like a, a triangle so <laughs> so for example um in english right when we say uncle that could refer to your your dad's brother or your mom's brother or your um parent's sibling's husband so all of these things encompass an uncle but in some places there's this tri-relational term and you make it a specific uncle so it's like your dad's brother uncle so it's like a, a bruncle is, <laughs> is how it's explained to me um is that so you can make this like kind of like specific um word of of how they're related to you and related to somebody else and so it's really really cool like these kinds of things and and one other thing sorry i can just like go on about this ranges, but something that I thought was super interesting um, when I started like learning about indigenous languages is that there are some um, languages and this is unfortunately getting less used because there are languages that are, have so few speakers um, but there's this thing called avoidant speech which is also called um, mother-in-law language mm -hmm. <laughs> that is because um, there are, in some indigenous cultures here, um, there are like taboos between a mother-in-law speaking with her son-in-law. And so there's this avoidant speech register whereby the language is kind of like simplified in a way. There are less words and things like that. So it's like they don't really have to talk to them <laughs> so much, but it's, it's like the grammar is different and the words are less and I just thought that was such an interesting thing that, like that I hadn't you could get like the, yeah. the basic meaning still across but without yeah really... yeah so <laughs> it's like for example in like some languages that um perhaps there are many different words for um specific animals like I don't know 10 words for different kinds of lizards but in this like avoidance register there's just like the one word mm-hmm how yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, get in, get it done, get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Also, I'm taking away bronchal. I like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What a good word. Yeah, and and indigenous um, languages are full of great words. Actually, um, one of my favorites um, comes from Nungar, and the word is bilia, and I I really like it because um it gives a a really great like visual image because bilia it, it's the word for river but it's also the word for umbilical cord and that's because um they're both life giving things and they have this you know connection that um you know when you're in the mother's womb that that is your life-giving cord but also the land and like mother earth that the river is a life-giving source and I think that that's like a really beautiful connection and I just I just love this word. <laughs> oh, thanks Carla that's that's I feel like that's just a beautiful 
symbolic and meaningful place to to um, say thank you. Thank you for our wonderful chat. <laughs> no, thank you. I was happy to come here and, and chat about things that I can chat about for ages. <laughs> and, you know, Beck and I, we love a chat. So anytime. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And we really hope that um, anyone who's listening out there that you found this an interesting and hopefully enriching in chat as well um, to help you learn a little bit more about the Indigenous languages of Australia, even in just a really introductory way. Um, but that now if you're interested, um, you know, keep, keep looking, keep going and, and finding out more information where you can um, because there's definitely information to be discovered and to be found. And to be passed on. Please do. Yeah, <laughs> too true, Beck. And it would be great, wouldn't it, if we, all of our language chats listeners who are based in Australia have an Australian connection, if we could, like, create our own, like, what country everyone's listening from or living on as well. That would be really cool. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> um, so, yes, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Language Chats and we will catch you again in a fortnight. And if you are not already subscribed to our podcast, please do so you don't miss out on future episodes. Um, and you can, of course, follow languagelovers.au on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, and please come across and join our Facebook group too if you are keen on more language lover type chats and interaction on Facebook. <laughs> and Carla, before we go as well, is there somewhere that people can find you if they're keen to get in touch or have more questions? Um, sure. Um, my email is knszuluaga, so Zuluaga is uh, Z-U-L-U-A-G-A at gmail.com. And I'm also on Instagram. I have a totally non-language related Instagram. <laughs> it's called Carla Likes Crafts because that's my other thing, crafts. Awesome. So um, sure, go ahead. Um, follow me there if you like. Um, I am pretty active on that. So yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thanks heaps, Carla. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Carla. See you all next time. Bye. See ya.